Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah, book of Zechariah. We are preaching through this book, and this is a book of comfort to the, the, those who had come back to Jerusalem to encourage them to finish the temple and then to finish the city, built, rebuilding the city. Um, and it really is a book of comfort. It's a book of encouragement. It's a book of prophecy. It's a fascinating study, and we are setting it up, getting the context of the book from the first six verses. So let's read verses 1 through 6 again. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they turned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath He dealt with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we open Your Word, as we study it, as we compare Scripture with Scripture. Lord, this is a very sobering passage, and it's a very uh, oh, challenging passage. Lord, I pray that we'll hear from Your Word today. Lord, help us not to leave here having ignored what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's interesting. I don't know that Zechariah had ever read How to Win Friends and Influence People. He doesn't begin with a compliment. You know, when we get to the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul talking about the people's faith. And he has a compliment about how he's praying for the people and how their faith has been a testimony. And he discusses those things. Here in Zechariah, it's just... Look, God told you all to turn. You didn't turn. Your fathers didn't turn. Don't be like your fathers. Where are they now? They're dead. On that happy note, let's sing a hymn. <laughs> it is a tough, tough beginning to this book. Now, I'll tell you this. Once we get to verse 7 and we get into the different visions, the first eight chapters have eight different visions, and it's an interesting thing. But this context, we have to understand the context. So my message this morning is God's call to His people. God's call to His people. And so the first thing that we see about this call is it's a call of love. It really is a call of love. I want you to see, and of course have your Bibles ready. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. We're going to be all over the Bible again this morning. Let's look at how God loves His people. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32.10. How many of you have ever heard a parent say something like this? I love them too much to punish them. Right? That's not biblical love, is it? That's selfishness. Um, look, at, look at the way that God demonstrates His love. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm sorry, 32. Deuteronomy 32, 10. Hey, I, I lost an hour of sleep last night, don't I? Deuteronomy 32.10, look what the Bible says. Talking about, he, if you look at verse 9, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. So he's identifying the nation of Israel as Jacob. And look at the way he describes him. He found him in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The nation of Israel. How does God look at Israel? They're the apple of His eye. He just, he just loves them. Uh, I didn't get to watch Patrick, but if, if, if you had watched Patrick while Annika was playing, I'll bet you you could see the apple of His eye. You know, that's the way that we parents are. We, we watch our children and we love to watch them perform. We love to watch them do anything. 
We just love our kids. That's how God looks at the nation of Israel. They're the apple of His eye. This is interesting. Go back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2. And look at verse 8. Now what's going on in this passage is God is going to begin judging the nations that had harmed Israel. And look at what he says. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, this is Zechariah 2.8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which, what's it say? Spoiled you. Now that's not the way that we would spoil a child with candy or whatever. This is talking about destroying them and taking their goods. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. That's kind of a goosebump moment there, isn't it? You know, that's the revenge movie where somebody's messed with somebody and they come back in and, you know, clean house. That, that's what this is talking about. They are the apple of His eye. They Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, and we'll see this in a minute, that it's all of the Godhead that loves the nation of Israel. They're the apple of His eye. He just loves them. So this call, it's a call of love. But in order to get the context, we have to understand what's going on. Go to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. Now, remember what we have. We have the prophets that were pre-exile prophets, so before the exile. And then we have the post-exile prophets. The post-exile prophets are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They are writing to the nation of Israel after they've been allowed to go back into the land. Jeremiah was a pre-exile prophet. So what he was telling the Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah is he's telling them, turn, repent, or God is going to destroy you. Lamentations was written in 586 B.C. What happened in 586 B.C.? Judah, Israel, were finally completely carried away into captivity. Lamentations is five chapters about Jeremiah's uh, uh, witnessing of what happened to the nation of Israel. I hope that you all will this week. I would challenge you this week to read the book of Lamentations so that you can understand the context of Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. When you see the anger of God, when you see what has happened... Lamentations is an unbelievable book. Before we go to the text I was going to show you, go with me to Lamentations 1. Look at verse 18. I don't know if I'd announce the other text or not, but look at Lamentations 1.18. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against His commandment. Here I pray you all people, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men are gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and mine elders gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. Mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth at home. There is as death. It's horrible. It's just horrible. I want you to see the way that Lamentations ends. Go, go with me to Lamentations 5. Look at verse 19. Lamentations 5, 19. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Now look at what he says. This is again a cry for repentance, but the repentance actually has to come from God. God has to give the people repentance. He says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Now look at the way the, verse, the, the book ends. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. That's the context of Zechariah. That's what the people have been experiencing from God for 70 years. Now go with me to Lamentations chapter 2. 
And look at verse 18. Look at verse 17. The Lord hath done that which He had devised. He hath fulfilled His word that He had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. And He hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. When you see that horn, that's the power. He set up the power of your enemies. That's what God says. That's what Jeremiah is writing here as he's crying. Lamentations, it's a lament. He's weeping as he writes this. Now look at verse 18. Their heart cried unto the Lord. A wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Look at what he says. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. This is a prayer of Jeremiah. God, don't let the apple of your eye completely die. Don't let them be utterly destroyed. Don't let them be completely annihilated. That's the cry. That was the message that the prophets had given to the fathers. That's what's going on in Zechariah chapter 1. But we have to understand they were the apple of his eye. It's a message of love. It really is a message of love because God understands what sinfulness and unrighteousness does to his people. Go back to Zechariah, and I want you to see this. Zechariah 1. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. That's the context. All of this judgment that that Jeremiah is talking about in Lamentations, that he's witnessing, that he's describing, it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. That's why he's telling them in Zechariah now, Don't be like your fathers. God has judged you. The judgment is over. Now He wants to bless you. But there is still a prerequisite to your blessing, and that's repentance. It's repentance. So it's a a call of love. But it's not only a call of love. It's a call of anger. How many of you can see that it's a call of anger? God will not tolerate sin... He will not tolerate sin. Now, let me say this. If you're a guest here with us today, or you've not been here very much, um, this isn't really a real happy message this morning. And it's not because we as a church are angry or, you know, that that we enjoy this. Um, I really wrestled with whether or not to preach this this morning because I knew you all would be tired today. But when you preach through the Bible, if you're going to to preach the whole counsel of God, you don't get to pick what passages you're going to preach and what passages you're not. And I can't make this passage happy. I can't do it. But but we need to hear from God. Amen? We need to hear what God has said. So I'm going to ask you to do this for me. I know you're tired. Listen on purpose. Don't sleep. Focus. Listen. Look at what's going on. I want you to see this call... Of anger. Uh, One commentator said this The New Testament gospel has the truth of God's righteous anger at the heart of it. The New Testament. The New Testament gospel has the truth of God's righteous anger at the heart of it, just as surely as the preaching of the Old Testament prophets. Indeed, the message of the cross makes no real sense without it. Is that right? You see, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. He just, he, his holy righteousness cannot stand sin. It can't. That's why the cross happened. How many of you are glad Jesus came and died on the cross for you? <laughs> you can't understand that without understanding the righteous anger of God. And he poured out that anger on his own son for you and for me. 
That's what Jesus Christ did for us. So we have to understand that this is a call of love, but it's also a call of anger. See, the false prophets of Jeremiah's day glossed over God's anger. Go with me to Jeremiah. Let's look at it. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, look at verse 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace. Read that out loud, the next few words. What were they doing? These prophets in Jeremiah's day, these false prophets... They were saying, God's not mad at you. God loves you. There's no judgment coming. There's peace. Be at peace. Everything's okay. That's That's the modern preacher. You're okay. God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. God just wants to have a relationship with you. God can't have a relationship with sin. He can't. That sin has to be taken out of the way. And that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. He does want to have a relationship with you, but He's not interested in having a relationship with sin. Is that right? Yeah. And so these are, these are false prophets. Here's another place. Look at, look at Zechariah. I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. See if this sounds similar. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, saying, or slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're saying it's okay. It's okay. Now, how many of you get that that's just like today? That we have false preachers and teachers. You ready for this? How many of you have seen advertised that miniseries called The Bible? And man, Christianity is all excited about this, aren't they? And we watched on the news the other day, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, they're married, I I guess. I'm not sure why she's not Roma Barnett. You see how messed up this whole situation is? And they're talking about this Christianity and their love for the Bible. How many of you think that the show Survivor is wholesome and godly? He's the creator of Survivor. But it's okay because the the consultants, the, the technical biblical consultants for this series are Rick Warren and Joel Osteen and Bishop T.D. Jakes. So we know that this is going to be great stuff, right? Let me read to you. This is, this is from Worldview Weekend. The producers of the Bible appear to have taken it upon themselves to alter the story of Sodom and the reason for God's destruction of this city. Perhaps they did not have access to a dictionary so that they could look up the term sodomy, or perhaps they simply forgot to glance at the biblical narrative that clearly explains the sins of this city. Regardless of the reason, the unfortunate result is that the sin of homosexuality and God's righteous judgment and wrath upon those who were impenitently engaged in this sin were ignored. Instead, the Bible depicted the Bible depicted the sins of Sodom as men behaving promiscuous, promiscuously with women rather than those of the same sex. Other significant discrepancies occurred in the telling of this narrative, but this element strikes one as the most notable in a time when many are seeking to normalize the sin of homosexuality. Uh, we, were, we went up to Lima yesterday to visit Rich Lehman in the hospital. So we went to Sam's. And so while we're at Sam's, I, I, went over, I always go to the book table, of course, and there's the, they, they've produced a book from this series. It's called The Bible. And so I looked up the section on Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the book, the men do come and try and get to the angels, but they want them because they're strangers. 
and they just want to kill them because they've come in from out of town. And so God destroys the city because they're mean. How many of you would say that's a false prophet? How do we, you know, because remember what, what happened. These two angels come. They come into the city and they come to, to Lot's house. And they're going to stay in the center of the house or in the, in the center of the city. And Lot says, no, you better not do that. Come into my house. And when it got dark out, these men came and were pounding on Lot's door saying, send the men out that we may know them. And you say, well, they just wanted to get to know them. No, no, no. Because Lot then offers to send his daughters out who have not known a man. So what was going on? They wanted, they wanted to molest sexually those men. Now, how many of you understand that was a really bad decision? Is that right? It was wickedness. It was wickedness. So how is it that Rick Warren and Joel Osteen and Bishop Jakes can endorse something as wicked as this? My Bible software that I have for uh, my iPad, I get an email saying that my Bible software will, will show these, these films from this miniseries. Uh, I get emails from all these different Christian organizations saying, watch the Bible, watch the Bible, watch the Bible. Well, look, Rick Warren was just last week on Oprah Winfrey's show. As a life coach, he said nothing about sin, nothing about eternity, nothing about hell, simply about the purpose for your life. Well, God's purpose for your life is that you get saved and bring Him glory. Because otherwise, you're going to go to hell forever because of your sin. That's the message of the Scriptures. But in our day, they're saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace, they comfort the people slightly, but there is no peace. God has not changed. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's attitude about sin in the Old Testament, it's the same as His attitude about sin in the New Testament. And we have to get this. The judgment of God is more clearly defined in the New Testament than it ever was in the Old Testament. It's so clear. Well, then what happens? We have false prophets. God's angry. God's angry with the false prophets. God's angry with the people for listening to the false prophets. And God's angry with the people for rejecting His clear teaching. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. I remember myself when I saw these, you know, those two on the news. I was thinking, well, this ought to be interesting. I can't bring myself to watch that stuff because I just get mad. Why? Because they're liars. How many of you understand that? Seriously. That they're liars. How many of you understand what they say about Sodom? That it's a lie. It's wickedness. But in our culture, especially if you're in Hollywood, you can't speak out against that. It's just amazing how far we've gone. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, The Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. For who? hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and who hath and, and hath perceived and heard His word. Who hath marked His word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in what? Even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked." The anger of the Lord shall not return until He have executed 
until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. What's going on? Here now, Zechariah is saying, you've witnessed it. You've seen it. You understand the wrath and fury of God now. So turn. So turn. See, it's a call of love, but it's a call of anger. His anger is with the wicked every day and every night. Here's another quote. False prophecy at its deepest level is a form of idolatry because it takes away the truth about God and puts a lie in its place. It misrepresents God by remaking Him into the kind of God we can feel comfortable with. A kind of Santa Claus God who gives us what we want without requiring us to change. Now, I want you to think about something. There are people all over this community who would be very uncomfortable with this message right now. Uh, I had someone say one time, I don't come to church to leave feeling bad. Really? Really? Well, if you're leaving feeling bad, maybe God wants you to change something. Amen? Now, look, we have a great time here. We like to laugh. We enjoy the wonderful blessings of God's Word. But we can't just read past the judgment and anger of God against false prophets and those that hear them. I want you to think about all of Christianity that's promoting this Bible series right now. I want you to think about that. And what they've done is they've taken the sting out of God's Word. They've tried to make it comfortable. God doesn't want you to be comfortable until you're saved. All right? And so it's a call of love. It's a call of anger. But I want you to see this also. It's a call from Almighty God. It's a call from Almighty God. Go back to Zechariah. We're still in chapter 1. Look at verse 2 again. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So here is Zechariah. Listen to what God did not say to Zechariah. You need to go and minister to how they're feeling. Zechariah, my people are discouraged. You need to go make them feel better about themselves. You know what's wrong with my people? They just have a low self-image. Their, their problem is they're just a little down. I, I, I want you to go and make them feel better because they're really okay. Is that what God told Zechariah to say? No, turn. <laughs> turn. Turn from your evil ways. Turn from your evil doings. Turn. I want you to turn. That, that, that was the message. And here's the deal. Now, let me read to you something about the prophets. This is interesting to me. They were not philosophers who gave people their own thoughts about life. Nor were they religious entertainers who built their reputations and careers on giving people what they wanted to hear. God wants you to be happy. And if you're happy, then God's happy. And if God's happy, then we're all happy. Aren't you happy? <laughs> they were messengers who delivered messages they had received from God. They did not deal in abstract theories about the nature of reality or in general principles of morality. They addressed people in concrete situations, declaring the will of God to them and calling for an obedient response. See, look, we're not interested in popularity. We're interested in hearing from God. What is worship? What is worship? It's bowing down before the Creator and saying, God, what do you want me to do? That's what worship is. And yet, we do often come to church wanting to be entertained. Keep me awake. Make me laugh. Make me happy. Make me feel better. Help me stop biting my fingernails. That's where we are. How many sermons can we hear about the home? There are guys that do 52 weeks on the home. Do you know what God says about the home? 
Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> Do you know why we need 52 weeks on it? Because we're not doing those things. Is that right? You see, there's so much more in the Bible that God wants us to know. That's what we're supposed to be studying. That's what the prophets said. But what's interesting to me is, when the people didn't listen to the prophets, who were they ignoring? God. Look, look at this. This is pretty interesting to me. Look at verse 4. We'll look at verse 3 again. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Look at the end of verse 3. And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the prophets have cried. Now, do you see this? Who's crying? Who is it? Who's, who's, who's giving the message? The prophets. Is that right? Look at what it says. It says, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto the prophets. What's the Bible say? Unto me. You see, the prophets were giving the message from God. When the people ignored the message of the prophets, they were ignoring God. That's what was going on. So let me ask you a question today. Are you listening to the Word of God? Are you saying, you know what? I don't like Pastor Jim when he talks like this. You see, what I'm doing is I'm communicating to you the Word of God. So, now, now look, if, if we're talk, just having a conversation, I can be right or wrong. When I'm reading the Bible to you, that's God's Word. That's not Jim Alter's Word. How are you responding to God's Word? You see, it's a call from Almighty God. This is tremendous proof that the prophets spake as the oracles of God. So it's a call of love, it's a call of anger, it's a call from Almighty God, and it's a call that must be heard and hearkened. Heard and hearkened. Look at this. This is pretty interesting to me. Look at verse 4 again. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. They didn't hear or hearken. Now, God does not stutter. Right? Uh, so what are we talking about? Hearing and hearkening. Uh, let's, let's look at this for a minute. There are two words that have a very similar meaning, but they're not the same. To hear is to perceive by the ear. To apprehend or to take cognizance of by the ear. It's to give audience to, to hear a voice or words. All right? So hopefully, you know, I can see some of these young people right here. They're not listening because they're like doing this. You ever notice how hard it is for teenagers to stay in control of their bodies during a church service? <laughs> Sit up, you knuckleheads. Um, here. Why do I want you to sit up? I want you to give attention to. I want you to hear it. Amen? I, I want you to hear it. Have you, have you ever said this to your kids? Sit up. Or how about this? Look at me when I talk to you. Anyone ever said that? How many of you have ever helped your kids do that? <laughs> my mom... I can't tell you. It would be child abuse. The things she did to my ears. Now look. God wants you to hear His words. All right, so what's that about? Come to church. Listen to preaching. Hear. Hear the words of God. That's what He wants you to do. How many of you get that? So what does it mean to hearken? What's the difference between hearing and hearkening? We don't use hearken a whole lot anymore. What, what does that mean? It means to attend to what is uttered with eagerness or curiosity. That's interesting, isn't it? That means you're listening on purpose. Eagerness or curiosity. To give heed. 
to hear with attention. Now listen, to hear with attention, obedience, or compliance. Now look, I can make Jacob hear me. Do you hear me? <laughs> I can make him listen. Uh, I, I can cause the physical action of hearing. But I can't force obedience. I can't force a desire to hear. I can't force compliance. Now, when a child's three, you can force compliance. If you can't, you're a wimp. I just can't do anything with him. I, I just don't know. Let me help you. Hearken unto me. <laughs> but look, when the, uh, when the child, come here, Jake. When the child's 14, slightly deaf now, but <laughs> when the child's 14, I can force compliance. I can make him clean his room. I can make him practice the piano. I can make him stop tormenting his sister periodically. Right? I can't do anything in here. I can't do that. That's up to him. See the difference? Uh, when, when I give instruction to my son, it's his choice whether or not he wants to hear it. How many of you get that? That has to be because I've demonstrated my love and concern for him and he's re reciprocating that love and respect to me so that when I give him instruction, he wants to hear it. Thanks, Jake. Now listen, I know that we have a lot of people say, my kids won't listen to me. They won't listen to anything that I say. Whose fault is that? Right? So now we've got to get this. God says to the children of Israel, you didn't hear... But neither did you hearken. So some of the people actually listened to the prophets. They just were not interested in what they had to say. You know, I always, when, when, I, ha, when I discuss this portion of the Word of God, I always think of Herod. Now remember Herod, he enjoyed listening to John the Baptist preach. Can you imagine what John the Baptist looked like? He comes walking in with camel skins on. This is not a camel hair sport coat. Okay? He comes in in camel skins. He's been eating locusts and grabbing the honey right away from the bees. And I think it's dripping from his beard right here a little bit. And he's coming in and he's saying, repent. And he enjoyed hearing him. And then he enjoyed watching the stuff that he did because he could do miracles and stuff. So it was like a sideshow for him. So you know what it says in the book of Mark? It says, he heard him gladly. He loved hearing John, but he had absolutely no interest in repenting or in doing what John had said. That's the difference between hearing and hearkening. You see, God wants you to hear his word, and you guys hear, you're hearing it. We have a PA system. I've got this high, awful voice that you guys get to listen to, okay? I didn't get Brother Farrier's wonderful voice. Lydia said the other day, I love hearing him talk. So you're hearing, you're here. So you're hearing it. The question is, are you going to hearken? That's the question. You young people, you, some of you are here because your parents made you come. Right? You say, you say I, I did drugs when I was a kid. Mom drugged me to church. She drugged me to school. She drugged me everywhere. <laughs> so you're hearing. The question is, are you going to hearken? Are you going to listen to the Word of God? They didn't do it. It's very important that we do that. I want you to think about something. It's a call of love. It's a call of anger. It's a call from our Almighty God. It's a call to hear and to hearken. But it's also a call of urgency. It's a call of urgency. You know, the urgency is very difficult for a young person to get. Now, my dad would say, do I need to light a fire under you? What was he doing? He was creating urgency. <laughs> Is that right? Look at this call of urgency. Look at what it says in verse 5. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, 
do they live forever? Look, what you you young people don't get is how quickly your life is going to be over. What's hard for you guys to grasp is how important the decisions you're making right now are. You're setting the course for your life. The things that you're reading, the, the images that you're looking at, the appetites that you're creating, the disciplines that you're developing, you have a very limited time to get those things established. I could have some of the adults give you testimonies of decisions they wish that they had made differently. People in this room that, that seriously, listen, there's probably someone in here that basically ruined their life at a very young age. See, this is a message of urgency. The fathers, where are they? Do you know what the, do you know what the, it's a rhetorical question. Why? Because they're dead. (laughs) That's where the fathers are. They're all gone. The prophets, do they live forever? What is the message? You only have so long to listen to the Word of God. You have a a limited chance to hear what God has said. Only a limited amount of time to listen and to respond to what God has asked you to do. I'm reaching the place. I've watched other preachers do this where they start to recognize their own mortality. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks, a month or so. 50. Half a century. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Do you know what I realize? I think I might have said this last week that I've only got about as much time as... If the Lord allows me good health... Basically, I've got the same amount of time that I've already put in here. I'm about halfway. I'm about halfway. Do you know what that means? I better get busy. I have a lot of things that I want to accomplish. I wish that I had had this sense of urgency 30 years ago. You see, this is a message of urgency. Where are your fathers? They're dead. These prophets, do they live forever? No. No. But what is eternal? What lasts forever? Look at the next verse. Look what it says. Verse 6. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? What does the Bible say about its word? Let me just read a couple of verses to you quickly. The Bible says, Being born again, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The prophets are dead. The fathers are dead. The Bible's still here. Amen? Here's what it says in Psalms 12. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All right? The prophets are gone. The fathers are gone. But the Bible is still here. Now, go with me to the book of John. I want you to see something. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You know, we might get to the point where we say, okay, that judge that was going to judge me, he's dead. I don't have to worry about him anymore. That prophet who spoke against me, he's not prophesying anymore. We can get to the place, if you and I live long enough, there will be almost no one in Christianity telling the truth. We're headed that way already. The Bible miniseries. We're headed that way already. Okay? But there's a problem. If God's Word lives forever, as the Bible says, how many of you would agree that God's Word lives forever? Look at John chapter 12. Look at verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, this is sobering. You see, the prophet's temporary. Me? I'm temporary. The preacher is temporary. Your parents, they're going to die. Eventually, you're going to have to listen to God's Word because it's going to live forever. 
And according to the Word of God, Jesus is not going to be your judge. His Word is. And you're going to be judged by your response, by your hearing and hearkening to the Word of God. That's sobering, folks. That's sobering. Look back at Zechariah. I want you to see something. Verse 4 again. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways. Do you see that? From your evil ways and from your evil doings. Your evil ways and your evil doings. Your ways, that's, that's your habits. That's your way of thinking. That's how you process information. Your doings are what you do with your ways. So it's like this. The, the, per, the pervert, the wicked man, that's his ways. His doings is the molestation. You see? God's saying, turn from your ways and your doings. Turn from your ways and your doings. My problem is I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. Is that right? You all get that? It's very important that we get this. So what I need is I need a change in my very nature. I can't do that. Your parents can't do that for you. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that for you. When you get saved and the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you and you're given a new nature, you're given uh, the ability to do good and to do right. Is that right? But that's the result of hearing and hearkening to the Word of God. That's listening to the call of God. That's submitting to the call of God and obeying it. You all get that? I want you to see something. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This is an urgent call. I want you to see a New Testament understanding of what God was telling the people through the prophets. All right? Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 26. Now, verses 1 through 25 are all about salvation, coming to the Lord. It's going to church, being faithful to the Lord's work. That's what verses 1 through 25 are. Look at what happens in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Okay? So young people, look at me for a minute. I want all you, all you young people to look at me. You guys know the truth. You have knowledge of the truth. Is that right? You know that you're a sinner and that you deserve to go to hell and that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for your sin and He has offered you the free gift of eternal life. How many of you young people know that, what I just said? You know this. Okay? How many of you adults know what I just said? You know that. And He's offered you that free gift of eternal life. How do you get that free gift of eternal life? You receive it as you would receive a gift, repenting of your sin. You're, remember, you're going this way. You're walking away from God in a life of sin. You turn. That's what repentance is. And you come to the Lord. Turn away from your sin and you come to the Lord. That doesn't mean you stop sinning. But your ways and your doings are changed by the Holy Spirit of God. Is that right? So what is this talking about? Look at verse 26 again. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Do you know what this is? This is... Come here, Luke. This is Luke being raised in a godly home, a Christian home, being brought to a Bible-preaching church, uh, sitting under a godly teacher in Sunday school, under the leadership of a godly youth director, wherever he is. I think he's out getting a drink. I don't know. Back there. Okay. All right. So he's... He's under a godly youth director, under godly parents, under a godly Sunday school teacher, coming to the church, hearing a man of God 
open the Bible and boldly proclaim the truth of the Word of God, boiling it down to a place where a knucklehead like him can understand it. Okay? You're very young. You have a skull full of mush that must be formed into something solid. Okay? I'm so encouraging. You just feel so much better about yourself when you come to Grace Baptist. Okay? So this is his experience. Now, how many of you accept that that's his experience? Do you, do you accept that that's your experience? All right. So now do you know what sinning willfully is? It's looking at all this truth and saying, it's not for me. I don't buy it. That's your choice. You can accept the truth that's been presented to you clearly. It's been lived out. His parents aren't perfect, but they're holy, trying to live a godly life. Is that right? So you understand the truth. Sinning willfully is looking at that truth and saying, it's not for me. Not interested. Thanks, Luke. You can be seated. So what's the result of this sinning willfully? This is the, that right there, what I just showed you, is the definition of apostasy. You see, every apostate is lost. But not every lost person is an apostate. There are people who have just never heard the truth of the gospel. Is that right? That's not what Luke would be. Luke has had every opportunity to hear and respond to the truth of the Word of God. If he makes a choice to walk away from it, to say, I'm not interested, God, I don't believe in you, I don't believe in your Word, I am not interested. You know what that is? The unpardonable sin. There is no way there is no way, there is no way that a person who rejects the clear teaching of the Word of God can go to heaven. They can't do it. Why? Because the only way to go to heaven is through the Word of God. Now, now look at the text. We're in Hebrews 10, verse 26 again. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now look at what this says. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he, Jesus, was sanctified, calling that an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So here's the idea. This is the person. This would be Luke looking at the truth that's been revealed from the Word of God, from the lives of his parents, from the teaching of his Sunday school teacher, from the teaching of his youth director, from the teaching of his pastor, from the reading of the Word of God, looking at that and saying, I don't care. Jesus, your blood meant nothing. Your blood is just like everybody else's blood. Your sacrifice means nothing to me. What the Bible says is, his judgment is sure. Listen. And sorer. Worse. Apostasy is a very dangerous thing, folks. You see, here's something I know. I know that there are people in this room who have heard the truth and are going to be apostates. Do you understand how horrible that is? You young people, you're, the, you're going to make this decision. You're going to make this choice. Now look at what the Bible says. Verse 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Would you look at verse 31 with me? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Have you heard God's word? Have you hearkened 
unto it? You see, at some point, you young people, this has to become your faith. Your parents can't save you. Huh, they would if they could. They every parent in here would die for their children. But Jesus did that for you. At some point, this has to be your decision. There might be an adult here. It might, might be a husband. You come with your wife. You come. You listen. Eh. Whatever. I'll come. Well, at some point, at some point, you're going to have to submit to God's Word. Because if you don't, it's that Word that's going to judge you in the last day. Go back to Zechariah. Are any of you parents feeling a supreme responsibility right now? Can you imagine if you're not living out the faith that you profess and it causes your kids to apostatize? How horrible that would be? Would you look at verse 6? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And look at what it says. And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath He dealt with us. You see, you can look back at what happened to Israel. Everything that God told them that was going to happen, it happened. Young people, look up here. Look at me. Everything that God said was going to happen to Israel happened. And everything that God says will happen to you, it will happen. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. If you submit to Him and obey Him, you know what's going to happen to you? Blessing. <laughs> Happiness. Joy. A full life. The blessing of God. Do you know what's going to happen if you're going to reject Him? Sure judgment and sorer judgment. You know, some people have asked this question. Are there degrees of punishment in hell? Of course there are. That's what the Bible just said. This person who hears the Word of God, child, man, woman, young person, old person, black person, white person, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are, You'll either hear God's word and hearken unto it, or you'll hear God's word and reject it and have sorer judgment. That's the call of God to his people. You know, I'll bet you there's someone in this room that God's calling to you right now. Are you going to answer that call, or are you going to face surer, sorer judgment? Do you see why I didn't want to preach this today? It's not enjoyable to tell people they're going to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's look at one more passage and we'll be done. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. Make it Proverbs chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief, in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. 
but ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, their ways and their doings. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso, what's it say? Hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Lord, Your Word is so powerful.